Hey, you're listening to Guat Dot Rocks. God, the world, and other things. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Today is episode 16, Images of Peace. The subtitle is A Focused Mind Can Foster Peace. Way back in 1995, yes, you heard me say it right, 1995, which believe it or not, folks, that's been 25 years ago, Billy Corgan and his band, the Smashing Pumpkins, had their first hit record with the song Bullet with Butterfly Wings. Now, those of us who remember this song don't know it by that title. Uh, We know it by the first few uh, words in the chorus, the droning lyrics of the chorus that repeat, Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in the cage. And as you listen to the song, it has this immense, undeniable energy, yet its message is very bleak. I think the reason why it was such a big hit record for Corgan and Smashing Pumpkins is because he hit an emotional chord in his listeners, which identified with our own sense of vulnerability to the pressures of this world. He starts off with the stark line, the world is a vampire sent to drain. Sometimes you and I can feel just like that regarding the pressures that we face on really an increasingly daily level. This world's draining effect on our lives can end up having a very damaging effect on us personally and to our families and our friends. And you and I can only stress so far that something is bound to break. I watched an interesting video on YouTube titled The Billet Block, and the host of the video from FX Motorsport TV interviewed the guest Darren, who is a representative with Bullet Race Engineering. And the cool thing is that Bullet Race Engineering builds a totally custom-made, super high-performance engine they call the Billet. Darren said that their goal is to build an engine whose components do not change shape under load. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? He said their whole goal is to build an engine whose components do not change shape under load. He said that is how you achieve maximum power. Now, keep in mind, when he talks about that does not change shape under loads, he's not talking about the movement that you have in a motor that vibrates under power. He's talking about the actual contorting, twisting of the seemingly solid cast iron motor. A regular four-cylinder engine generates anywhere from, I mean, the old Volkswagen Beetles, the original had maybe 60 horsepower. Uh, You can have a a four-cylinder engine today in a Kia that generates 150 horsepower without a lot of help. But with the modifications provided by Bullet Racing, they have customers who are generating in excess of 2,000 horsepower. Now, of course, their engines are being built for high-performance racing, not to drive on the streets around town, uh, but still a vast difference in performance. The standard cast iron block is not as strong as it appears. The problem is that when the cast iron block is put under extreme load, it all moves. When it moves, the material has a yield point, which means how far it can move before it breaks. In a cast iron block, depending on how it's made, the yield is between 1 and 2%. If it moves more than 2%, this contorting and this twisting of the thickness, it's going to crack. The billet is made out of solid machined aluminum. Aluminum has a yield of 10% before it breaks. Plus, if you take time to watch the video, which I will reference in the show notes with the hyperlink, you see also that 
that uh, performance racing, that what they've done is to also thicken uh, the areas in the motor that generally are cast very thin in the cast iron block. So not only are they using a substance and a material that has more flex before it breaks, but they also have totally redesigned the concept of the motor. They achieve actually 10% yield before braking. As we think about that today, you and I, in a much more complicated way, do have a yield point, which if we go beyond it, things in our lives begin to contort, twist, and in some aspects of our lives, break. So how do we run this race called life? Like a well-tuned, high-performance billet engine designed to handle the stresses of life without twisting, contorting, breaking. The secret, and it's not really a secret, is to come into alignment with the God of peace. I've got a question for you. Do you want God to be on your side? Then get on his side. And here's how it works. As we focus our minds on the right things, God things, God shows up. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the church that he had founded in Philippi. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. That's found in the Christian New Testament in the book of Philippians. It was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And it's found in chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. But the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote this, once considered himself a zealot for God. Then one day the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus and chastened him and asked him why he was persecuting him. You see, the Apostle Paul at that time was a chief Jewish leader, and he'd been tracking down Christians and having them put to death. He tracked down one of the followers of Jesus named Stephen. Paul incited the people to take up stones and to stone Stephen to death. The Bible says that the people laid their coats at Paul's feet while they stoned Stephen to death. Paul knew what it was like to have a zealous fervor for God and also to think that he was on the right track doing the will of God only to find out that he was actually working against him at every step. And so on the road to Damascus, Jesus, who by this time had ascended to heaven, actually appeared to Paul in bodily form in the midst of a cloud. And he said to him, he said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? We know that Jesus was taking Paul's actions towards Christ followers personally. But not only that, he also told him that it is not good for you to kick against the goads. And what Jesus said there is that as you kick back, Paul, on the things of God, and it's the image of an oxen who had uh, a set of, of barbs positioned behind their feet that of course, the oxen under stress and under load working in the fields many times would want to stop and would want to kick back and not continue with the strenuous activity. The farmers constructed a goad that was a stick that as the animal tried to back up, 
uh, it would be a hard prick and it would cause them pain and they would they would continue to move forward with plowing the fields the apostle paul was told by jesus that paul for you to try to go against the things of god only results in increasing your own pain i remember a volunteer a dedicated volunteer who worked in founding a church and doing christian ministry in one of our apartment communities where we had access that he had worked diligently with a young couple to bring them along in their faith in Jesus Christ. The husband especially had been plagued with a troubled past, legal trouble, jail trouble, and was showing great strides in becoming what he needed to be to his family. But finally, the pressures of the world became so great that this individual told my volunteer, he said, I'm going over to the dark side. Now, friends, I'm talking that in real terms, he let this dear volunteer know, I'm giving up, I'm throwing up my hands, I'm going over to the dark side. But you see, it never works. God says it's painful for you to do that. There is no painless backing up from God. It always ends in pain. Good news, there are some things in this life you and I have no control over, but through God's design, we do have the ability to control what our minds dwell on. And as we dwell on things that lift up, inspire, encourage, and point to God, we will enjoy the presence of the God of peace. Now, when I said good news, I'm not talking about these things beyond our control. That's not good news. But the good news is the fact that God has designed us to have the ability to control what our minds dwell on. At times, you may be involved in a, in a work environment with a boss that's very oppressive. Uh, there was a very successful book. It was a bestseller, and the title of the book was How to Work for a Jerk. Of course, in the situation I was involved in uh, at the church staff at the time, uh, I actually felt like that the pastor I worked with was actually a jerk. Now, that's inside information to those of you who don't know the workings of churches, but let me say that just because your pastor or your preacher may wear a robe or a suit or have the appearance of being godly, uh, I hate to break your bubble, but sometimes that's not really true, especially behind closed doors and in real life. And so even as a minister of the gospel and having been involved in the gospel ministry since I was 17, uh, there have been times in my life to where I have worked with people uh, especially those in authority over me at the time, who were jerks, uh, just plain and simple. A friend of mine, as I talked to him on the phone, told him the difficulty I was encountering. He said, hey, Kenny, there's a good book you need to get. It's titled How to Work for a Jerk. Now, let me stop right there and say that the author of the book points out the fact that uh, the person who's in authority over you, who's ahead of you in the food chain, so to speak, obviously has something on the ball because they're ahead of you in the food chain. The title is a little bit of a comical play on the, the sadness and grief sometimes we experience at the hands of those in authority over us. But, oh, by the way, if you purchase the book, I would not advise taking it to work and leaving it on your desk. Uh, that's not going to probably be a good plan. But the point of it is, we don't have control over those things. So many times in the past where you're in a job situation 
And in the mornings, uh, your boss is irritable or difficult or are, are challenging and you've not done anything wrong. And you walk away from a meeting or from an encounter and you wonder, well, what provoked that? You know, friends, we forget that if you and I are working under the authority of someone who is a heavy drinker or who has been intoxicated the night before, that they wake up feeling terrible. Many times they take that ill feeling out on everyone that they have control over. It's just a reality. There are some things that we do have control over, and one of those things is our mind, and that God, in His grace, has gifted us with the ability to control what our minds dwell on. What we're talking about today has to do with personal responsibility that we have to choose to exercise. The Apostle Paul has some admonitions that if you and I will follow them, that we will see a marked difference and an increase in peace in our lives. The Apostle Paul there in Philippians 4.8, he starts off by saying, finally, brothers and sisters, he's addressing those people that he reached in the city of Philippi with a term of endearment, a sense of family, especially to the intended audience of fellow believers in Jesus Christ who had trusted in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. To this group of people that he considered family, he gives this prescription for peace. It's a collection of six personality traits. It comes down to what's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. What are the images that we can focus on? The first thing is truth. He says whatever is true. And that means pertaining to or in in accordance with historical fact, what really is. The lexicon says what has really happened. And so sometimes the barrage against truth can have you believing a lie. It's called deceit. It's what happened to Eve in the Garden of Eden. In the end of the age, the Bible says that the delusional lies of the Antichrist will be so overwhelming that if not for the shortening of those days, that the very elect of God would be deceived. Friends, sometimes we can come in contact in a situation to where the barrage of lies is overwhelming. In the dystopian novel, 1984, the protagonist's occupation is to redact. That means to remove history and to bring it into compliance with the narrative that the Big Brother state declares as truth and historical. The featured character's occupation is the obliteration of history. You see, history is a recording of the real events of man in the world. You know, there's an old saying that says that those who ignore history are destined to repeat it. Someone once said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and the exact same way and expecting different results. But I have good news for you that the God of creation, the God of the Bible, is the God of history, and history matters. What has happened, what is historical fact, what's true matters. And so whatever is true, that's in opposition to what is false. And we need to think on those things. Whatever is honorable. In other words, someone that is worthy of respect, who shows good character. And the focus here is on their deeds. The focus is on their deeds. Whatever is just, that means pertaining to what is righteous? In the Old Testament, it was the concept, the word of Sadiq. And that was the, the term that was used to describe those 
who trusted in Yahweh. The Joseph, the earthly father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it said that he was a righteous man, that he was someone that you could look to and say, son, daughter, be like him. Whatever is pure, to think on this, whatever is pure. My friend, we live in a world with access to so much media that is just muddy. It's dirty. It's filthy. It's garbage. And I tell you, we need to come to a place to realize that, you know, we can overlook profanity to a point, perhaps, if you want to build that argument and that the movies that you watch that contain a barrage of profanity that you can excuse it away and just say, you know, that's the culture. They don't mean anything by it. That's the way it is. But my friend, I'm telling you that as we compromise and as we continue to allow into our minds those things which take us down, which cause a breaking in our souls, that it's wrong. And I know we, we face a challenge in that area. Every one of us have to make a choice. Here just recently, I began to look at some of the podcasts <clears throat> that I've been listening to. And the people themselves, I find them fascinating. I won't use any names. I'm not here to disparage anyone. But people that I, I personally like. I see things that I like about their success, their achievements, uh, the way that they've overcome the difficulties that have been placed in their lives. But yet, at the end of the day, their speech is so demoralizing. Their speech is so defrauding. And they do it without impunity. It's just let loose. And so at a point, I had to make a, a decision. What if somebody picked up my phone and looked at my Apple podcast bevy of, of podcasts that I listened to? And what if on the podcast that I had selected there that uh, every one of the, the podcast episodes had E next to it? That means explicit. Well, what, what kind of example would that set? Is that something that you would want to model to children, to your, to your children, to my children, to family, friends, relatives, loved ones, church members, work associates? No, not really. Of course not. But yet we've got to think about that and make a choice to seek to put into our minds things which are pure. One of the things that I find fascinating that I love is to go someplace where there are clear flowing streams, to see a stream that flows with purity instead of a muddy river. I mean, where I grew up, uh, the lake nearest our home was a great lake called Grapevine Lake. And the majority of the time, that lake was turbid. You couldn't see a foot in front of your face underwater. Uh, very dangerous, I think, to swim in. And so... There was a lot of things about it unattractive came to a point to where I really didn't care to go into that water anymore because it was nasty. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a problem at one point during the heat of the Texas summers to where some of that water was so stagnant that it possessed a lot of microorganisms that if you swam in that part of the lake and it went up your nose, went into your mouth, went into your ears, people were getting very sick. So you know, we don't want to be around things that are putrid, things that are blemished, things that are morally defective. 
you and I need to focus our minds on whatever's pure. Now, it's getting harder and harder to do that. We do have the capability to step up to the plate and to seek purity morally, mentally, emotionally, verbally, purity. Also, whatever's lovely. Uh, this, this has the concept of if you think of somebody who is just a really friendly person, that they're acceptable, that they're, they're pleasing to be around. And I'm not talking about from a sexually gratifying way or a provocative or an erotic way. Uh, that's overwhelming our minds. But I'm talking about someone who is just really agreeable, grateful, generous. They're, they're welcoming. That the Apostle Paul says as a brother to us that think about that. Put that in your mind. You know, as I was preparing for this podcast, uh, for some reason, and like I said, part of the whole thing with Guat Dot Rocks, God the World and Other Things, is my mind is tangential in the way that it thinks. And so as I'm talking about what is lovely here, that the group, and I don't know, I don't know if you it would even call them a musical group, but the insane clown posse came into my mind. And they're a group from way in the past, but the last time I checked, they were still uh, going at it. And so one night as I was taking it easy. And like I told you in the past, uh, my favorite TV channel is YouTube. And I thought, well, I wonder what those people are up to. And plus trying to really get a better understanding, like what were they? And so I found a, a video, a recent video of the insane clown posse. And it was a live recording from one of their quote unquote concerts. And I'm telling you what, my friend, it was terrible. It was terrifying. The images of, I don't know how to put it, it was, it was occultic, it was dark, it had images of this burning of like a hell, and everyone who was there clearly were huge, huge followers. What's crazy is that a lot of the people were actually younger, people that don't remember them when they first hit the scene, but they have discovered them and they follow them. And to see the influence that they had over the people uh, was really disturbing. Definitely not a lovely image. It was a rancid image. I tell you, someone that obviously has some form of talent, the artist that goes by the name Marilyn Manson, uh, what terrible, terrible images. And still to this day has a huge following. And like I said, I don't know his actual name, regardless of what you think about him, and I hate the music that he performs, but you would have to say that this, this uh, child that grew up uh, to command a fortune obviously has some sort of skill sets and talents. But the bottom line is definitely does not provoke a feeling of loveliness, of gratefulness, of agreeability, but yet the very opposite of that. And so we've got to think about what we're focusing our minds on and the type of person that we're emulating. And that person needs to have the attribute that they're lovely. They're, they're attractive in a wholesome purity sense. But also the Apostle Paul said that whatever is commendable, and that means worthy of praise, worthy of approval, something or someone that you can speak well of. So you have this, this dossier on the type of individual that we need to emulate. 
he then goes on to say, and it's really a summary of all that he's just said. He said, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, think about such things. And the way those sentences are worded there, it's not that there's a question, is there moral excellence? Is there anything praiseworthy? Paul points out that, hey, don't forget, there are things that are moral excellent. And there are things that are praiseworthy. And you need to think about those things. And so as our minds begin to mull over those in our past that have been brutal to us, that have been hateful to us, that have been arrogant to us, that have modeled unkindness, that we need to stop in our tracks and to say, no, I'm not going to let my mind continue to go down that path of brokenness. I am not going to let my mind continue to go down that path of damage. That instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to focus my mind on people in my past that have modeled godliness, that have modeled purity, that have modeled holiness. And now you ask, well, Kenny, but maybe what if I don't have someone in my past like that? I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But, you know, if you have some people in your past or someone or a mentor that modeled these attributes to you, the Apostle Paul says, reflect on that, dwell on that, dissect that, allow it to become deep core support for your soul. You know, as I was preparing this podcast, I was talking to my wife about this, and a person that came to mind, and this is from my sixth grade year in elementary school. So you're talking that's been, wow, it's been 48 years ago, a long time. But yet I can still remember a man by the name of Joe Dunham. Joe was a Native American, and he was a large man, uh, but a very handsome man, had a great contagious smile, a great contagious smile. And Joe was the leader of a group of boys in our church called the Royal Ambassadors. And his mission was to teach us about missions and doing work for Jesus Christ. But as a part of that, one of the hooks that kept us young boys going to these meetings was that Joe would do things extracurricular outside of church with us. One of the things that he would do is we would have a Saturday event and do cool outdoor things. Joe was no pushover. As a matter of fact, something that, you know, if, if this happened today, there would probably be lawsuits. But uh, Joe, in his loving kindness, and I mean that for real, that he made it clear that, boys, if you cause trouble on the camp out or the hike, that I'm going to give you warnings. If you step over the line too far, then you're going to have to go through the belt line. Now, the belt line was made up of all of the boys would line up on two sides, sort of like a really bad disco dance-off, and we would take off our belts, and then the boys who had caused trouble had to run the belt line, and all the boys swinging their belts, seeking to uh, hit the kid with their belts. Of course, I want to say that, that none of the children were greatly injured. Uh, I was actually one of those at one point that went through the belt line, Actually, it was kind of fun because it was not intended to hurt, but it was to draw a point that I'm going to mark you and we're going to correct you if you step out of line and cause trouble for the group. Even in the midst of the belt line and being told, Kenny, 
you got the belt line, son. But I knew that the reason why we had the belt line is because Joe loved us as young kids. And you think about that as, as a man. He was, he was an insurance salesman. He was busy. Uh, he actually had, uh, I think he had daughters. But he gave of his time every week to invest in us and to show us the love of Christ and also cared enough about us to discipline us in a God-honoring way. And so as old as I am, I can still see the face of Joe Dunham and his contagious smile. You see, that's good to reflect on. That's healthy. Joe's example to me as a young child has stayed with me all this time, and it inspires me. Before we get too dark, before we become too oppressed, we need to stop and to say, wait, that there are more excellence and things to focus on. There are praiseworthy things to think on. As we invest in the lives of others, and as we mentor the lives of others, that it has lasting impact. And Paul says that these are the things that we should reflect on. As we do what the Apostle Paul is admonishing us to do, that it has impact both for those that we care for and also in ourselves as we focus our minds on the proper things. But he goes on to say in verse 9, he says, Do what you have learned, received, and heard from me. Put it into practice. And so you see, Paul brings all of this admonition home to say that, hey, what I'm encouraging you to do, what I'm commanding you to do in love, and it's written in the form of a commandment, he, he's saying that, but it's not impossible because I myself have modeled this type of thinking to you already. That what you've learned, it, it's the idea of attending a rabbinical school, that what you've received, kind of the concept of a spiritual heritage, and what you've heard and what you've seen. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, I've given you the example in my daily living that I conducted in your presence. Be busy with this. Busy yourself with this. Put this into practice. Become occupied, become preoccupied with this type of thinking. And the bottom line is, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul says that peace is a personal attribute of the God of the universe. And the great news is, is that as we come into alignment with the things of God, God is present with us. So I hope you have had people in your life that have modeled moral excellence and praiseworthy behavior. As you give meditative thought to these things and seek to model them yourself, you have the promise that God will be with you. It's very possible that you've not had a godly person who has been a model to you of godliness, of things that are praiseworthy. I want to encourage you that you'll find a great number of people you can look to for inspiration and examples of people of high moral caliber of living by reading the Christian Bible. I would recommend that you start with a reading about the life of Jesus. The first four books in the New Testament of the Christian Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of his life. It's four accounts of one story written from four different people's perspectives. Together, you receive a multidimensional image of Jesus. It's like a gemstone seen from different 
angles. Jesus lived the most morally impeccable life and always did the right thing in every situation. If you're not much into reading, you can download an app for your smartphone that will read the text to you. And as a matter of fact, I highly encourage that. We learn best by what we hear, not just what we read. There are several free audio Bibles available, and I'll have hyperlinks for those in the show notes. But I encourage you, go to the Bible passage I quoted today and put these words to memory. As we line up with God, he will show up. He is peace. We have his promise on it.